A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, hello there, and welcome to the show. It is uh, time once again to welcome my friend and fellow wrong thinker, Gary Welch, aboard. Hi, Gary. Hey, Brian. It is absolutely awesome to be with you again today. Well, we have some important things to discuss, as we always do, and, of course, uh, some great show notes for people to check out at thebrianhideshow.com. No particular order here, but I'm going to start at the top of the list. No, actually... um, want to talk a little bit about uh, about what we see happening around us, particularly uh, you had posed the question, institutions, why do they get inefficient and expensive? I mean, come on, they just passed another big, you know, what, almost two trillion dollar uh, spending bill. And, uh, and and we're told, at least by the politicians who passed it, hey, this is helping people. This is lifting people from poverty, et cetera, et cetera. I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of a skeptic. I think this is just big government spending that uh, that found an excuse and is milking it for all that it's worth. Your thoughts? Yeah, and this came about because it's really fun to talk about the topics of the day and we and we'll get into that a little bit. But you know, that's always the most exciting thing to do, but every once in a while I like getting into what I call political geekness. And that is you just kind of go into the deep side of things and look behind the scenes and talk about why things are happening versus what is happening and really delve into the the darker side of politics. And and one of those darker sides is institutionalism, that that organization that has become so big, so large and so encompassing that it is now failing to be in, you know, efficient at all. It is failing to do everything and ask that question. Why, why is it, why cannot, why can't government be efficient? The socialists would absolutely love that. If we could create a government that is efficient, that is, that fills all of our needs, that does everything for us, can take care of us and all those things and work in the way it's supposed to be. Well, that was their beautiful utopia, but we actually have just the opposite and and what i'm trying to point out is that you know this this thing is unavoidable you can't do anything about it 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 always will turn into this ah that sounds uh that sounds like you're kind of resigned to this is the way that government operates like are you saying it's in its dna to grow and grow until it becomes inefficient and expensive and not just government but maybe other institutions as well Right. And that's exactly it. So there's actually been a lot of study done on this, on on the on institutions and and how they function and how they operate. And what they have found is that every institution, once it gets beyond a certain point, and that point is usually several thousand individuals, once a organization has 2000 or more individuals, whether they're employees, staff members or whatever, that it starts breaking down. And it starts becoming inefficient. And there's some good reasons for that. And one of them is mostly because of communication problems. We are people. And even, and here's the funny thing about this. 
technology does not really have a, a major impact on the inefficiencies. Even though we have all these great computers, great communication devices, all these things to make us more efficient, the reality of it is because of just the nature of human beings and how we communicate with each other and how we interact with each other, after several thousand people are in into this institution, it does not matter what it is, whether it's a business, a church, a government organization, nonprofit, it does not matter. It starts breaking down and the, all of the inefficiencies start coming into it. So is that necessarily a bad thing? To, I mean, to, to recognize it, I mean, it, it, it sounds like it's almost uh, according to a natural law. Um, is it good that sometimes government becomes, or I, again, I'm using government, but that institutions themselves become less efficient? No, not at all. And that's the problem is, is so, you know, you ask why. So then why do we do this? Why do we go through this where we have you know, large church organizations, large nonprofits and, and, you know, national governments that are very, very large. And that because we are creatures of control. And that's really the issue. The only reason for having a large institution is so that people on the top can, can control it. And they feel like they need to control it, which is one of the problems with a large institution is you have a small group on top trying to control everything. And the more they try to control and the larger it gets, the less control they do have. And then they start introducing the bureaucracies and the inner level managers and all these things to maintain it. But by and large, the larger the organization gets, the institution it gets, the worse it gets. And the less it's able to deliver on services, the, the more expensive it gets to deliver it. But we do it because we feel like it has to have a single organization that's very large in order to deliver products and services. We think that you have to have that, uh, you know, we can't have lots of Amazons. We have to have the one Amazon and we can't have lots of little governments. We have to have the big one government so that we can basically make everything consistent. But it's really a misnomer. And why why is it a misnomer? I, I agree with you, by the way. I think we're trained to see it that way. But uh, what what are we missing? So here's the really cool thing. Our founding fathers figured this out. I, I always talk about these guys, and, and my philosophy is always on one side of it. We, we deify them, and we may try to make them more than what they were. And the other side of it, though, is we really discount how smart they were. I mean, these guys were really geniuses at what they were doing. And what they had figured out was what we need is standardized systems, but smaller institutions running them. They always knew that the most efficient and most effective type of organization was a smaller one. But what would happen is you take all of these smaller organizations and unite them under certain principles, certain systems, certain dogmas, I guess you will. And so you allow that maximum flexibility, that maximum amount of communication, that maximum amount of independence. You still get the control you need as far as making everything work right because it's standardized. But you're not putting in all the inefficiencies of a large institution. So their idea was a small national government 
that set the standards and then small state and city governments that were basically running everything. Which I think, you know, was was the case for at least the early years of uh, of our nation's history. People, I think, Gary, would would be absolutely shocked if they realized that uh, much of this country's um, westward expansion, its growth, the establishment of great cities, museums and bridges and dams and other such things took place before there was an income tax. That is, if they took place prior to 1913. But uh, but people can't imagine, well, how did it, you know, how would we ever fund anything today if it weren't for the income tax? Well, how did they do it in those days? There's your answer. And so one of the things that we have always discussed about is you have to understand that currently, right now, we live in a socialist government. We do not live in a capitalist government. We do not live in a constitutional government. We live in a socialist government, and we've been raised. There's not a person alive today that was not raised in a socialist government. And so we accept this as the standard. Oh, this is the way things are supposed to be. And that's what I was wanting to do in this show is break that little paradigm and say, no, not at all. And as a matter of fact, this country was developed to be just the opposite. Is this going to be a hard sell for for people who are just, you know, um, who aren't looking for a reason not to believe in the institution or the, the, the system as it is? It is. It's going to be a paradigm shift. But this is one of the reasons why I thought this is a good topic to talk about, because as wrong thinkers, that's what our job is, right? We're the paradigm shifters. Well, I'd like to think we are. I want to believe that we are. Sometimes, though, and, and, and Gary, you've, you've been in this uh, longer than I have. Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know, our, our progress is almost imperceptible. It's, it's very, very minute. That doesn't mean I'm ready to, you know, to throw in the towel. But uh, we, we see an awful lot of effort that, that oftentimes doesn't seem to, to produce a lot of return, if that makes sense. Well, my philosophy is always replace the idea with a better idea. Nice. And we're going to talk about some of those some of those better ideas just the other side of these commercials. Gary Welch is my guest. We will be back in just a moment. is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. And yes, we are engaging in wrong think today. So, Gary, we were talking about why institutions grow inefficient and expensive how the public tends to support that, maybe even comes to expect it. But nonetheless, uh, if we want to make some changes, that means we got to be willing to uh, to be active. You had mentioned something to me, and, and uh, I never had really thought of it in this term, uh, but you said the United States never had, does not ha- currently have, and never will have an enlightened electorate. Tell me why that is. Because pe- there's a very small minority, a very, very small minority of people that are interested and 
feel strongly about politics. And so let's go back. Let's let's go into 1820. You're in 1821 America. Let's look at the, the dynamics of what was happening in that world. You had very bad communication. Travel was very slow. Most people did not go outside their village. They lived and died within a five-mile radius, and it was very difficult to go outside of that five-mile radius. Things happening in Washington, D.C. were not being communicated to you in upper New York State and in New Hampshire. You were just not really getting that information. It came to you. There were national newspapers, but they were getting to you weeks later. The vast majority of the population didn't even read. They had no ability to read anything. And so they were getting their information very peaceful, piecemeal, and very little. For the most part, back then as today, in fact, I would say today we are more aware than what our predecessors were. We are more politically aware and and politically astute. But here was the thing. They didn't care. What they were worried about was getting the crops in, getting the farm out, taking care of the, you know, paying the mortgage and doing all these things of daily living, working with my neighbors, getting these things done. And politics was just something on the side. Today, we're in the exact same thing. People just don't care. The vast, vast majority of us, you know, it's got to be somewhere in that 98 percentile. They really don't care about what's going on in politics. They're more interested in just how does it impact me? Now, because politics impact their lives a little bit more, it does have that impact on them. But really, when it comes to want to do something about it, no, they don't. Not not unless it's really seriously bad. They're willing to tolerate a lot because it's all about doing my own thing. That was actually my next question for you is how bad would it have to get before those attitudes would change? Do we want to know? Are we going to find out? We, we've, we've had the limits as tested as far as they can go because basically they imprison you in your home and you said that was okay. Wow. So let's, let's follow up on that for a moment. I'm seeing a, a pretty definite shift in terms of attitudes towards the lockdowns, meaning I see people who are ready, I mean ready, to walk away from them. Um, is that going to last? Or are they going to be stampeded right back into the arms of uh, Leviathan the first time you know some other scare comes along, medical or otherwise? Well, that's one of the reasons why I think that the Cuomo um, controversy with the, with the rest homes is such a big deal and why they're pushing that they want a victim because they know that the resistance is, is mounting up and that people are saying we have enough. We've had enough. We're pushing back. And so then if you go and you say, well, it's guys like Como that messed it all up. Otherwise, everything was great. We did the right things. Then you divert that attention and allows you to do it again later on with that. That's all this part of this, this let's fake you out. Let's make you turn and look elsewhere and say, well, yeah, it was really bad. And this was messed up, but it was guys like Cuomo that did that. We didn't do that. Let's, let's not look at say governor Cox in Utah who did really pretty much kind of the same kind of things. Let's don't look at him and say, Oh, okay. We have a problem here. No, let's just blame it on these guys so that they can do it again. So I do 
I do see the reaction coming, and I've been predicting this for quite a while, that we just had to let it run its course. But we're going to get that pushback. We're going to see more and more states, as we are seeing now, saying, you know, wait a second, governors shouldn't have been able to do that. Let's pull them back a little bit. Let's re- let's start relaxing these standards. Let's get back to normal because the people are pushing back to that. The problem is, is that they have created themselves an excuse to say, now we can do it again. I'm just wondering if they're going to get away with it. Because, you know, my personal line in the sand was drawn pretty early on. I think uh, probably somewhere around, oh, I don't know, March 20th of last year. That's when I was like, okay, hold on. I don't like where this is going. But, uh, man, it's been it's been almost a year. And uh, for every person who has come to the realization that this is not sustainable, this is destroying businesses, it's destroying lives, it sure seems like there are a lot of folks who have, um, I don't know what the right word is, assimilated or adapted to where... They're actually comfortable with it. Case in point, I was out and about this last weekend, and I really thought I was going to encounter more people who were like, finally, we don't have to mask up everywhere. No, I guess it was, I'm guessing 98% compliance just about everywhere I went. So one of the funny things that they have noticed is in those states that have already relaxed, like the max standard and everything like that, they found that the private institutions like Walmart are still maintaining the the standards and inside those institutions, even in those States, everybody's wearing masks. Interesting. Yeah. I I really thought that was going to change or at least that given the option of, Hey, you don't have to wear the mask anymore. I thought more people would jump on that. And, and I have to admit, I was surprised and just a little bit discouraged to see there's still plenty of folks who are totally good. Nope. We're good. We'll keep on doing it long as we have to. So here's where the problem lies for wrong thinkers and folks like yourself of how do you institute change? Because you are looking at a group of people and you say, well, you should be independent. You should be thinking differently. You should be fighting against this. You should be stark raving mad that they're doing this to you. And yet you are very compliant. And the reality of it is, human beings by just the nature of who we are we tend to be compliant people we want to get along we want to to be you know all together all the same kumbaya <laughs> that is the way of doing things the and and what it is 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 this is what the politicians have understood is we are looking for leaders and and there's this mentality like you shouldn't have leaders. You shouldn't have people leading you to do things. You should be able to do it on yourself. Well, it goes back to they don't care. They don't know. They just go along and get along. And what we need is good leaders. We need leaders who are going to lead us into the right things, into freedom, into liberty, not lead us into tyranny. And the problem is, is that tyranny tends to breed the leaders in, in our country. Yeah, I can't disagree. We need the leaders. Uh, the The question is, what kind of leaders? And um, you know, the the people. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna step on some toes here, Gary. The people who seem drawn to politics, the ones who you know, wow, this is this is for me. Almost always are the kind of people we really shouldn't be handing power to and saying, go make good use of it. They want it too much, if that makes sense. But oh the, yes. But on the other hand, you know, the, the leaders who would be principled, that would be willing to, to stand where they need to stand and, and not to, you know, impose things that are unnecessary, 
they seem very few and far between. Maybe when we come back, we can talk about this a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I'd like to use a couple of examples of uh, people within um, our home state of Utah. Senator Mitt Romney being one of them, Governor Spencer Cox being another. These guys are both hugely successful politicians. And if it sounds like I just complimented them, I didn't. (laughs) So we'll come back to that in just a few moments. Stick around. We'll be back with Gary Welsh right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Our program is brought to you in part today by Monticello College, Landmark Risk Management and Insurance, also by Pure Light. You want to talk about some fascinating uh, light bulbs. I'll be telling you more about them. And HSL Ammo. Gary Welch is my guest. We are talking about, among other things, uh, how do you actually drive change? And, Gary, I'm, I'm still reeling a little bit from the, uh, the concept uh, that I, I really can't argue against, that, you know, the citizens of this country are not going to rise up and end the corruption and scandals. And it's not that they don't re- recognize something's wrong when they see it, but uh, something makes them very uh, uh, reticent about doing anything to actively change it. And so this is kind of where I was driving this conversation in that we're so afraid about, you know, the people, the people, the people. No, they're just going to fall along. And here's my point to this, you know, exactly. They are going to be just as accepting as a pro-life leadership. If we created pro-life leaders, put them in place, and pro-life leaders would follow their agenda and truly promote that agenda, there would be no major backlash. They would simply accept it as part of the new status quo. This is the new way of doing things. This is the, the, the way that society is. And they would accept that and move along with that. And we would have a better society because of that. And once they've adopted it and accepted it, they would see for themselves how much of a better society. Look at racial America. When we were racist and we were having these you know, issues with racism, once we adopted it and once it came in and it was a little bit pushed on as this is where they can get away with this, hey, we have this enlightened elite approach because we have to push this on to you. But once they accepted that, then it became part of our society, and we saw it was for the better. But this whole thing, like, no, we, we, we cannot, we're not going to be able to push our, our agendas, these liberty-based, freedom-based, conservative-based agendas, because the people are not going to accept it. My philosophy is just the opposite. Yes, they will. You just got to stand up, and you got to have the leaders stand up and do it and push these agendas and don't just concede to the liberals that they're going to win. I think you and I have talked before about uh, how hard it is to get good people. And and I'm going to define good as principled people to, uh, to engage in politics. I mean, it's, it's not just a matter of, well, it's expensive. It is. It's uh, time consuming. Yes, it's that too. More often than not, I think uh, what keeps people out of it is 
They don't want to undergo that microscope, which which every person who runs for political office does. And if you pose any kind of a credible threat to the status quo, my observation is uh, those those are the people who are, you know, deepest under that microscope and being examined and, and hauled out for, you know, being pilloried in public. And this is where the 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 two subjects we were talking about, the institution and then the leadership of that. When you have a corrupt and an evil institution that is built upon an enlightened elite approach, that we are the enlightened elite, we'll tell you what to do. And if we want your opinion, we'll tell you what it is. You know, that that <laughs> approach, that attracts those, the leaders who are attracted to that are just exactly those sociopaths that are are really wanting to be a part of that institution. And it's a catch 22. Those of us who would say, no, I'm not that kind of individual. I'm not that. I don't want to be that type of person. I'm not wanting the power. I do not want to tell people what to do. We tend to not want to be a part of that. And there's the problem. So you have this catch 22 dichotomy. And what we have to do is break the, the, the paradigm. You have to break down the dynamics. And this is where we've always talked about getting back to those smaller institutions that I've always go back to this. You start the fight, you win the fight by going into these smaller institutions and making change there, becoming the leaders there, creating the, the dynamic change in your cities, in your counties, in your school districts. And then you start moving up the chain and start taking tackling the bigger status quo. So is is part of the problem that people are looking for change way too far up the um, food chain? In other words, we we, yes. we want it all at once. We can just get one person right. in there. Everything's going to change. It doesn't happen like that, though, does it? Right. So my, my you know, I, I go around telling everybody, I'm like, you're a socialist, you're a socialist, you're a socialist. You listening to the show right now, you're a socialist. And everybody goes, no, 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 I'm a liberty guy. I'm a conservative guy. I'm a Republican. I'm not socialist. No, you're a socialist. You're a socialist because you were raised a socialist. From the day you went into the school system, what did they tell you? You want something done, you go to government. If you don't like what somebody's doing, go to government. Right. If you want something to be accomplished, go to government. And because of that, we have this top-down attitude that the only way to, to achieve change is going to the top, getting government to do what you want, and then forcing everyone else to do that. And yet that is not what our founding fathers created. They didn't have, they didn't want anything like that. And what they said is you could create change on a smaller level and you just do it a thousand times over and you have the same effect, but you achieve it in a much better way. Well, that actually sounds pretty encouraging. But now the question is, how do you, how do we put that into, uh, into practice? So one of the things I want to talk about is the founding father's mentality about small government and how it could be effective. And that is that you take these smaller governments where they are efficient, the communication's better, the, the, the communication with the public is better among each other. All the, you take all of these great things about these small institutions, but you combine them together. And let me just give you like one quick example of how this would work. Let's look at education. Right now, we look at, we go, well, we need all these millions of dollars that come from the federal government for our schools. How are we going to function without all of these millions of dollars from the federal government? But the problem is the federal government always comes with strings. You are going to do common core. You have no choice in the matter. 
We're not going to let you decide what you want to do. What's the best education for your kids? We're going to tell you what it is. And if you want our money, you got to do that. Well, that's top down socialist thinking. And that's where we're all stuck in. Well, we're going to change this. We have to go back to the top and get it to change there. No. What you do is at your state and school district level, you reject that. You do say, look, we don't need you. And you combine together. There is nothing in our Constitution, for instance, that does that prohibits states from getting together and forming regional state organization. We can form a state education that that is all 50 states and all 50 states agree. It says, hey, we're going to have this education platform that we're going to work with. But the advantages is that we would still run them at the local level. And if you don't like it, you you bail out. You just say, look. You guys are now, you're saying, I got to do this common core garbage? No, I'm out. See the big difference? I do. Now the question is, how do I help others see that and, and recognize that is the better way? That's what I'm, I, I want to be the wrong thinkers to, to those of you who call yourself a wrong thinker and a liberty-minded individual. This is the better idea that you have to you have to say, look, top down doesn't work. In fact, it has all of these problems with it. It has to be a bottom up. And we can do this by banding together in these smaller institutions and working together, not saying, hey, we need the feds for everything, but saying, you know what, really, we need the feds for nothing. There's there's really nothing we need the feds <laughs> for. No, I, I, I wish. Uh... I, and I think you nailed it as, as far as so. So why do the states if they realize this? Wouldn't the states want more control? And I think you nailed it when you said, you know, not if it comes at the expense of those federal dollars. Because they, they want those dollars. That's that's money they don't have to try to raise through, you know, taxing their own citizens. That's money that uh, I, I'm sure they view as free money. Well, it's just free money. All we have to do is just reach out and take it. But like you pointed out, it never, ever is provided with without uh, conditions and strings that, okay, but if you're going to use this, you have to use it in this way, and you'll be beholden in, in this way. And um, I don't know. I think that's one of the things that has kept, uh, you know, my home state of Utah uh, so, so in line with so many uh, federal guidelines. It's not that Utah doesn't have a strong bent for freedom or, for that matter, the, the capacity to solve many of its own problems. I think it's just that easy money. That's just my opinion, but I, I think that the, the politicians, when, when you see what they're worried about, more often than not, they're going to throw out the concept of, now, you know, there's funding at stake here, as if that is the most important consideration. And so for us as individuals, what we have to realize is that upper leadership, whether that's at the state or federal level, these are all individuals that have said, I want to be a leader of the institution that is corrupt, that is tyrannical. And so if we're looking for them for answers, <laughs> um, I think you're looking at the wrong people. And and they demonstrate this to us every day. I mean, just look at, at Cuomo. He is such that perfect example of the sociopathic thinking politician that we have. Okay, we got to stop here because we got a break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show.
This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Gary Welch is my guest. We are engaging in wrong think, in case you hadn't noticed. And Gary, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, about you had mentioned uh, Governor uh, Cuomo and how it started out as accountability. I mean, we learned, and, and, and I'm, I'm not just, you know, opining that, uh, well, he may have had a hand with some uh, deaths of nursing home patients. No, it's clear. He ordered infected patients into nursing homes in New York. And even when it was shown that uh, the, the death rate was skyrocketing because of the residents, the, the people in the most vulnerable category for COVID were exposed as a result of that order. His health people hid those statistics, hid those numbers, because they were worried that, well, if the Republicans get a hold of this, this is going to cause trouble. I mean, that's an outrage. That's, you know, for all the talk about figurative blood on the hands, that's a person who who had direct responsibility for something that took a lot of people's lives unnecessarily. But that's not what we talk about when we talk about Andrew Cuomo. We're talking about the fact that um, he's been accused of being handsy. Or uh, or overly, uh, uh, I don't know. He's been he's been overly friendly with with female staffers, and and so right now the the hashtag Me Too movement is uh, you know chewing him up and spitting him out. But it's not just Cuomo. You were mentioning this this applies to a lot of other uh, politicians as well. It absolutely does. It's part of the breed that we have developed and cultured. And again, the institution draws these type of people to it. They are all sociopaths. And here's the thing that I want to point out about Cuomo. We think this is a thing about sex. And that is absolutely wrong. If you think this is all about sex and him being a man and just wanting to um, sexually exploit women, you do not understand the dynamics of what is happening with our politicians and the sociopathic thinking. This is about control. This is about a man that does not feel anything for these other people. And it's all about controlling them. That's what he gets off on. That's what he wants. And that's what he was trying to do. If you notice that none of these women actually acquiesced to him, none of them, had an affair with them. None of them slept with them. They all turned him down. And yet he did it again and again and again and again. And it's because it was all about control. And that applies to all of these guys, whether they're Republican or Democrat, independent, it does not matter. They are all into that side of the control. And you have to recognize what this really is about. Okay. I'm I'm having a moment here, Gary, because I'm thinking about what you've just said. They're they're all like that. And, and there's a part of me that's trying in vain to defend politicians. Oh, come on now. They couldn't all be like that. But I do see your point. People who are in positions of power, particularly if they're being reminded constantly, you are so powerful. You are so amazing. You are so awesome. It's very possible they may start to to agree or to, to buy into the way that they're being treated. They may actually think, hey. I'm above the law here. Why would this be a problem? And this is what our founding fathers were so afraid of, because they knew power would attract these people. I always talk about how these were so, so great human behaviorists. They understood human behavior and they understood that mindset. There is a certain select number of people who are born in the United States and born in the world that are sociopaths. 
And they're also the sociopaths tend to have control issues. They like to control things. They want to control things. And so that's what we see is that they are drawn into these positions of power where they can control everything. And so you create the institution that allows that power. That's who's going to be attracted to it. The guys who don't want power, why would they be attracted to it? They're not. They're not going to be you know, wanting to do that. And so what you get is just the only people who are showing up at the door are going to be the folks that say, I want to control everything. And we see this exhibited over and over and over again. And again, it goes across party lines. It goes across different positions, state, federal. It doesn't matter. They all show up, men and women, too. Look at the women who are in politics. They're control freaks. Wow. I mean, look, on the on the one hand, I'm thinking, OK, this makes sense to me. But I, to some people, I can understand where it would be like, guys, you guys are Gary, you and Brian are sitting there just name calling. But I think if you look at their actions, I don't think this is just name calling. I think you're 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 calling it out. But I think you're doing so accurately, even if it uh, even if it might sting. And that segment of the population, they end up in different places. Uh, we see them a lot in corporate America because it's the same thing, that that ability to have control, to have power. So they'll show up in corporate America. They'll show up in other institutions. Religious institutions will a lot of times bring out that individual. We see that in the cults where they sit there and they have this mind control over individuals. They are there. That's a part of our society. It is a DNA makeup, and it's a mental thing that is there. It is real. It does occur. The issue is, though, we have allowed it to enter into our political world and into our government, and these people are now not just controlling a small sect or a small group of individuals. They're controlling everyone. So let's talk about uh, the best way to contain those aspirations or to, to direct that desire for control. I mean, on the one hand, you know, we've got the uh, American Revolution. That's how they handled it when King George was out of line. What are some of the options available to us to check and, and keep that uh, love for control from gaining control over us and our lives? So for me, the first step is we've got to totally and thoroughly reject even the concept that socialism will work. And this is why I brought up, so I started this segment with the whole thing about institutions. Institutions always, there has not been a single one that has not, when it gets to a certain point, becomes inefficient, ineffective, and tyrannical by just, just its nature. And it doesn't matter. Again, religion, business, government. So understanding that, we now know socialism can not work. It is absolutely impossible for it to work. It will just become a very large, inefficient, ineffective, and tyrannical institution. So let's reject it. Let's just say it can't work. Why are we going to go down that road? And then the other side of that then is by by going into that smaller government and banding together to get the results we want, but using that smaller government mentality, we take the power away. Once you take the power away, those who are attracted to that power, they're not going to go there anymore. They're going to go into something else, probably business, maybe religion. I don't know, but they're going to go somewhere else, and I don't care. Go ahead. Go there. Just stay out of government. 
because when you're if you if you are a control freak in a religion i can just stay away from that religion if you're a control freak in a business i can just stay out of that business i can't stay away from government no even if you want to say no um it's it's an offer you cannot refuse more often than not we're we're down to about two minutes left here um give it let's let's give some action items things that people can do today that will improve their ability to wield their influence more effectively what what kind of activities or what kind of efforts would you steer them toward i would really love to see a a large effort made about the realities of socialism and talk and you know doing the two things confronting that we are a socialist society and we think like socialists and ch- and we have to change that and then just combating the whole thing about it it ain't going to work let's 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 fight the disease with the cure which is just pointing out that this disease is going to kill you there's no there is no outcome where this turns out good and and let's go that route and then let's find leaders who are willing to stand up on a local level and saying you know what i'm willing to combat this in my city, in my county, in my school district. And how hard is it to do that, though? I mean, look, I know they're out there, but for some reason I get the impression that uh, some of them may actually be in hiding. Yeah. And then I guess then that's the big thing is become a wrong thinker and spread the word. You know, take take this show, take the recording play it for people say, Hey, I just heard something pretty cool on Brian Hyde. And that's your show all the time. I mean, just like relate that and just spread the word. Okay. I I love that. uh, I love that. I get to pick your brain on a weekly basis. And, and I hope that, uh, I hope this gives our, our listeners something to think about as well, uh, not just in terms of, okay, you guys have correctly identified the problem, but Gary, the thing I get from what you're saying is the solution is much closer to uh, to us, to each of us, than we sometimes tend to believe. We just got to start moving. Anyway, absolutely. thanks for your time. Great talking with you. We'll look forward to doing this again next week. As always. This is The Brian Hyde Show.